uh, these verses from the early part of Matthew chapter 15. I want to start with uh, a, a wee statement to begin with. I'm going to speak a lot about authority this morning. And uh, that word authority can bring up all sorts of different connotations in our mind. It can bring up some positive, but it also is a word that we can sometimes feel is a very negative word. It's about restrictions, it's about domination, it's about coercion. And I want us to really understand as, as we get, begin this this morning that what we discover in Jesus isn't one who employs those tactics um, when it comes to any notion of authority. He isn't one who forces, he's one who transforms. He changes our hearts. He changes our desires. He changes our priorities. We have the Holy Spirit within us, who the Bible says is at work within us. The fancy word is sanctification, which means that he is at work within us, molding us into the the nature and type of person that Jesus was. If you imagine an old building that's getting renovated into something magnificent, God is doing something like that within each and every one of us. And we're given an amazing promise that he will accomplish and finish the work that he has begun. So when we're, when we're hearing that word authority, please don't let it be too jarring. Because I, I did go to thesaurus.com, but I couldn't find a word that seemed to convey the kind of thing that Jesus is pressing into here to quite the same degree as that word can. So I wanted to begin with that just because I know that that word can sometimes bring up all sorts of different thinkings and thoughts in our head. And especially as when I click this, we're going to discover that the first thing is types of authority. Where You can see we're kind of sticking with that word it's in the, the title of the first point. So what's going on in these verses is something I want us to spend a little bit of time exploring. We see here that the the Pharisees and the scribes have come to Jesus and they've come a bit of a distance actually. It tells us they've come from Jerusalem to bring this challenge to him. You do wonder how something that we would perceive as small as this has has worked its way all the way back to Jerusalem. But yet it has. And here they, they are concerned enough about hand washing to, to make the journey to, to speak to Jesus and to find out exactly what's going on here. So the first thing we see in these verses is a challenge to Jesus, a challenge to his reputation as a rabbi because, of course, how they practice and live is reflective on him and his teachings. So what we see first is this challenge then about hand washing. And they home in on that about hand hand washing when they do not wash their hands when they eat. And you know, we might think, that's a fair question actually. They're not washing their hands before they eat. Would Would you want to be sharing communion with them if they're breaking the bread? Knowing that they hadn't washed their hands before they eat. So we might be thinking, actually, I kind of agree with them here. That's, that's a bit, it's a bit minging. Um, but, of course, nowadays we've got all this hygiene stuff that we, of course, are aware of. Back then, this was very much a ceremonial thing. It was a, a gesture. It was a thing about holiness, about preparation. So we might think, yuck, but that's not actually what's going on here. Because they tell us what's going on. It's about the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders says that you've got to wash your hands before you eat. This is what would become known as the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a book of oral teachings which have been handed down um, many, many generations from the teachings of the rabbis. And that was considered an authority for their lives. That they could look to this Mishnah and that they could find guidance. And one of the things that it taught them was about hand washing. That they had to wash hands. 
before. To eat, this was part of being holy. This was part of the customs now of being a Jewish person, of practicing the faith that they held to. So hand washing had actually become a fairly significant deal. So they might think that they were on solid ground when they brought this challenge to Jesus. After all, they're talking about traditions that have been long practiced, that are established. But Jesus is having none of it. So what Jesus does is he immediately begins to challenge that authority. He immediately begins to challenge the nature of the authority on which they're basing this question about his practice. So they've come to him with this teaching from the Mishnah. And he, 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 he goes directly for it at this point. He is swift. Essentially this challenge comes down to authority. But let's have a little look at some of what's going on. Because he answers him. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honour your father and your mother. And whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. So this is the first thing that Jesus says. And he's pulling here verses from the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse 12. Honour your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that God is, the Lord your God has given you. In Exodus 21 verse 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. These are both commandments that came specifically from God to the people of Israel. So Jesus begins to challenge this because one of the things that this Mishnah, this tradition of the elders has enabled people to do is what was called the practice of Corbin. Now what Corbin would allow somebody to do is to see their properties and their wealth and all the stuff that they had attained throughout their life and they could declare it Corbin, they could declare it separate, dedicated to God. Now that might sound holy initially, but one of the side effects of that is that their parents, who their culture, and who Jesus here teaches as well, they should be responsible for assuring or cared for in their latter ages, would have no access to any of that. So the, the, the parents could essentially find themselves destitute, not able to access stuff that culturally they should have been able to access because the stuff had been declared Corbin. Now that wouldn't have actually changed it for the child in any way. They would still have access to their house. They would still have their funds. They'd made the statement, but the reality was it didn't change very much for them. But it changed massive amounts for their parents. Because they're not honouring their parents here. They're treating them as an inconvenience. They've found a way to work around what the Bible had asked them to do. They had that responsibility, but by declaring it as Corbin, they could navigate around it. And it wouldn't actually affect their life in any meaningful way. So Jesus is now beginning to challenge directly what the Mishnah is teaching. He's challenging directly the fact that they're allowing this tradition of the elders to find ways around the teaching of the law. It's navigated around it. And they're using these, these, these shortcuts almost as ways to avoid doing some of the things that Scripture had asked of them. They had made their own customs their own practices, their own interpretations, equal to the authority of Scripture itself. And that's the basis on which they bring this challenge to Jesus. And as you see here, he begins to deconstruct it very, very quickly. And he's very blunt in what he says. I mean, he challenges this whole construct that they've built up. And that might be jarring enough for them, but he then follows up with, you hypocrites. If they weren't already jarred, well, they certainly are now. 
Because what Jesus is recognizing that all this stuff, this outward stuff, is a mask for something internal. Their heart is far from God. They're worshipping God. They're appearing holy. They're doing all these things that their culture is telling them is religious and nice. But actually the deeper stuff, they're avoiding it because their hearts are actually far from God. So he tells them, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me in vain. Do they worship me? Teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Well, that's exactly down to a T what Jesus has just challenged them on. That these doctrines that they have been teaching, that they're challenging him with, they are the commandments of men. They are not the commandments of God. So authority here is an important thing because the Pharisees and the scribes have misplaced some of what they should have been drawn upon. They've allowed their own traditions, their own wants, their own desires to filter in and become ways in which they can navigate round some of what God was calling them to do. Authority is a big thing, but the heart here, of course, it's a bigger thing. Because they're only navigating around the authority of Scripture because their hearts are far from God. They don't want to come under the teaching and the the authority of the law. So they're finding ways to avoid it. So we've got authority here. An important thing. We've got what's going on in their hearts, which is what Jesus is really beginning to challenge. So what do we do with that? Well, what I wanted to talk about is walking the right road. We need to have the right authority in in our minds and in how we perceive ourselves, our ethics, our principles and our desires for our life. So I wonder if I was to ask us a question, what is the authority for living for God? What would we say? Think happy things. Think happy things. What would we say the authority is for living for God? The Word of God. So we we can pick up this book or open the app on your phone if you prefer to do that or listen to it audibly or look it up online or if you're old school I'm sure there's parchments in a museum somewhere you can go and have a look at. What I'm stressing here is it's pretty accessible. You could probably find it still if you happen to stay in a hotel in one of the drawers beside the bed. Yet in this, in this book, in in the Bible, is what God has put in it to guide us, to challenge us, to direct us, to shape us. And yet, there is absolutely no question, there are authorities in our culture that will seek to change that, to tweak that. What would we say are some of the other authorities in our culture? What do we think? What other authorities are there in our culture? Media. Politicians. Politicians? Yeah, media. What else? Is that it? Just po- yes. celebrities? Yes, yeah, celebrities is, is another very substantial one, actually. What else? The CAA. The CAA? You're going to need to translate that a bit more, Stanley. Okay, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's an authority. Maybe not so much in my life, but definitely on the, those involved in that industry. Anything else? What are the other authorities? What's that? 
Sipa. Right. Let's, let's not go there. <laughs> Yeah, music. Aye, music could be one because it it directs and shapes our thoughts as well. So we've got quite a lot here. We've got the the media. I heard a really interesting statement on uh, the the Jeremy Fine show the other day. If you want to know what the government's future policy is going to be, read the Daily Mail because that's what they're going to adopt. And actually, it seems to be quite true. So media is an important one. The internet, of course, is a huge part of that. Uh, you only have to look at um, all the stuff that's been unfolding about Facebook and this British information gathering firm. I can't quite remember what it was called. Centrica or Centria or something along those lines. But putting enough fake news out there was actually enough to influence people's thoughts and perceptions. People can be swayed by things such as that. We all could. It's very easily done, actually. So there are different authorities that are actually going to try and impact on our ethics, our perceptions, our priorities, how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive others, how we perceive God. Some of those may be positive and others might be negative. But here's what I really want to press in on. If our hearts are not close to God, if our hearts are far from God, those other authorities, some we've listed and others might be individual to us, we will begin to use those to circumnavigate around the things that God wants of us. We will use those as justifications, not to follow what Scripture calls us to do or to be. This is what we see happening here. Their hearts are far from God. So they've created a Mishnah that allows them to circumnavigate some of what God is calling them to do and who God is calling them to be. And the same is true for us. Things change, but they actually don't change all that much. If our hearts are far from God, we will find other authorities that will allow us to navigate around what Scripture calls of us. And we will start justifying things that are not okay when we follow God. So for instance, God calls us to love others. Well, we can get around that with a few tweaks. We don't have to read much media to find justification for not loving others. Very easy to suddenly start not loving immigrants or foreigners. We can find that authority quite easily. God calls us to forgive one another. Well, that can be costly. And let's be honest, sometimes we don't want to do it. Sometimes people have upset us so much that actually we want to get back at them. We want to make them feel what we have felt. Yeah, there is no disclaimers in Scripture. And that's hard. That's really hard because that's jarring. That we have to forgive as we have been forgiven. Not easy. Very easy for us to look around and grab another authority which will allow us to put some terms and conditions in there. Well, I'll forgive, but only if. See? What's happening there? God calls us to bless our enemies. (laughs) Well, that's a challenge, isn't it? 
And yet we can find another authority which will help us navigate around it quite nicely and justify the fact that we don't do it. But what would Jesus say if he pulled those authorities before him and says, you say what we say? He would challenge us. He would deconstruct us and he would point us back to his word. If we read, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount and we take seriously everything Jesus teaches there and we don't pull for any other authority to navigate around any of it, we realize just how great a challenge it is and how great a work God is doing in each of us to mold us and make us like his son. We have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to get into that place where we are pulling into and drawing on the other authorities so that we can circumnavigate the things of God. Because the truth is, and it's a, it's a harsh truth, but it is a truth nonetheless, and it speaks to me as much as anyone else, because what I've mentioned there, I struggle with that stuff as well. But when we're pulling all these other authorities in, our heart cannot be close to God. Because we are pulling all these other things in that begin to deconstruct that closeness to God. So God is calling each of us into that really special and precious relationship with him. It's something that we have to take advantage of. But we also have to be honest about where we're at and the things we struggle with and the authorities that are around because the only person that can help us and really transform that is God. And he can, of course, use others to do that as well. But if we pretend it's not there and it's not an issue, then nothing is going to change. So authority is a key thing, but of course one of the other key things is the fruit of our heart. Jesus begins to look at the charge that they've actually given him about about uncleanliness, about defilement, about the ceremonial law. And his teaching here is just as controversial as anything else he's said up to this point. He makes it about the heart and what's going on in here. He makes it about what our thoughts are, about what has taken root in our hearts instead of these outward practices. And of course, we, we know that to, to be consistent with our practice, but it was not consistent at all with the practice of Judaism up to this point. The ceremonial law played a huge role in their understanding of what it meant to be holy. The cleansing, the feet washing, all these things made so, were so substantially important to them. And when Jesus begins to make it about the heart, he's beginning to deconstruct a lot of that. And that would have been jarring. So when the disciples come up to him and say, you know, that's, that, that's offended them. It absolutely has. Because not only has he challenged their, their, their whole tradition of the elders, he's now challenging the ceremonial law itself by saying actually it's about what is in here that is really important. This is what's going to defile you. Forget about what's going in here and think more about what's coming out of it. Because that reveals actually what's going on inside your heart. So he's deconstructing some of that. Literally, he is a threat to so much of what they hold dear at this point. So no wonder it's offensive. But yet Jesus' response is, he isn't moved by it at all. What my father hasn't planted will be uprooted. The blind can't lead the blind or they fall into a pit. He's so blunt here. 
He is so blunt that these people are not the people who are spiritually equipped to be leading Israel. He's not wasting any time on diplomacy here. He's just saying it as it is. So, yeah, there would have been a fair wee bit of offence at what he's saying here. But he's saying this in these ways because he is Lord. He is, he's God incarnate. He's not saying that we can all stumble up to somebody and say exactly what we think. At times, Jesus takes on the role of judge. And you see that here. Because this is judgment. This is judgment here. But it's not judgment as in, like, what what any person can willy-nilly do. It's judgment. He is Lord. And he acts as judge at times. And we see that here. The blind are leading the blind. So what Jesus does is he homes in on the human heart. It's in what goes in that makes one unholy. In fact, what goes in, as we know, nature will take its course on what we put in our mouth. As anyone that has had a child will know, they're going to consume a lot of things that we're going to question how it's going to affect their, 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 their internal system. The reality is what goes in doesn't make us, doesn't defile us. But what he's saying here is that, well, one of the first indicators of, of our hearts is, is our words, what we say. That reveals a lot of what is going on inside of us. And Jesus, he highlights when, when the disciples are pressing him some of the corruptive stuff that can take root in our hearts. And much of that is based around the latter part of the Ten Commandments. These different uh, ways of thinking that Jesus is speaking of. Out of our heart can come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So, these, these kind of habitual thinkings are the things, when they take root, this is what becomes a problem. This is what can become a problem for us. And the reality is we know this. What Jesus is saying isn't profound even outside of Christianity. We know that what begins to take root in somebody's heart can have such an either positive or a negative impact. We only have to look at our world at the moment to see some of that, to see things such as prejudice and suspicion taking root in so much of what's going on. History is littered with stark realities of this kind of thing. Littered with it. And the present day sadly can be as well. And we know it from our own experiences that what fills our hearts, what impact our words, our actions, our perspectives of others. If negativity or hate or unforgiveness or prejudice or lust or greed, if these things take root in us, then we are in trouble. Because they will keep growing. They will fester. And we we can pretend it's not an issue. We can justify a lot of them. In fact, sometimes I would struggle not to stand with you as you justify some of them. Because this world can be brutal, it can be nasty, and it can be mean. But when they take root, it impacts us. And the danger is that we will begin to draw on all these other authorities to legitimize holding on to those feelings. So they become that which defiles us. That which creates that distance between us and God. Not that he's moved away. We're building walls because deep down we know that these things shouldn't be there. We're called to more. 
We're called to live like Jesus. And that means looking honestly at our own hearts. Only, as I says, you and God this morning know if any of this stuff resides in your heart. Only you and God this morning know if there are things that we are holding on to that we know God doesn't want us to be carrying. That we know are impacting us. That we know are festering. Only us and God this morning. We can do all the, the, the holy appearances that we want. We can do the hand washing, the feet washing, and of course, not literally, but that's metaphorically. Please, nobody be doing any feet washing here this morning. For a start, there's no water. But it could all be a mask. Because what's going on in here doesn't reflect it. What's going on in here is wrestling with other things. So what do we do then? Maybe that is how how we're feeling this morning. Maybe if we're really honest, actually, the stuff that God's asking of us is a bit too costly. We're keen for it. We love him. We want to follow him. But there's this area that we want to keep hold of. How do we get victory there? How do we find a way out of it? Well, I want to share a few wee things, okay? The first thing I want us to remember is the transforming power in this room. The transforming power in this room isn't me, which, by the way, I'm very relieved at, because I wouldn't be very good at it, okay? But there is a transforming power in this room that could use the songs, that could use the prayers, that could use my words to bring freedom and transformation to our hearts. That transforming power is God himself. He is here this morning. In this room. I'm not entirely sure which seat he's sitting in, if he is, but he is definitely here. Okay? And his power is present in this room. So the first thing I want us to recognize that if we if there is stuff like that going on in our hearts and in our minds, it's not about necessarily us entering a DIY program, a self-improvement program that we dictate for ourselves. It's about us turning back to God and saying, I I can see this in me. Help me. A lot of the time, it doesn't lie within ourselves to move past the stuff that can take root in our heart. It lies in God's power. I want to share just a few wee verses here. In Ephesians 1, 17-20, it says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of the revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope that he has called you to. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of his heavenly and in the heavenly places. So a few wee things there. Firstly, our, heart, the, the, our hearts get enlightened. There is a transforming thing that goes on when we encounter God. He gives us a spirit of wisdom. That we know the hope that he has called us to. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. That great might that he worked when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So the immeasurable power of God towards us is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection power of God is here this morning. 
that can bring a transformation that nothing else on this earth ever possibly could. So if we are finding our hearts aren't close to God, if we are finding that there's this other stuff and we're pulling from other authorities, the resurrection power of God is here. We can call out to him. Because that's the key thing. The key thing is turning to God. Not making it about ourselves. So I encourage us then that we remember the power of God. That we draw near to him. That we draw so close to God that we can experience him in a way in which we recognize that actually, regardless of some of the stuff that goes on, God is worth the cost. He's precious enough to us that we will forgive those who have wronged us. He is precious enough to us that we will try to love our enemies. He is precious enough to us that we will stand for the kind of inclusion that Jesus and the, the Gospels speaks of. That sounds glib, it sounds trite, and it sounds almost condemnatory, but that's not what I intend it to be. I intend it to be that we turn to God, that we seek to encounter God, that we seek to experience Him in such a way that the issues and the feelings and experiences that we are carrying get reframed in the light of His wondrous presence. And that that enables us to release those things. I encourage us, be honest. We can pretend with ourselves and with God and with others if we have some of this stuff in our hearts. Nothing changes. It just keeps growing. Be honest. Because it's when we're honest with ourselves and then with God that that transforming power can be at work. Lastly, I want to share these final verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, again... We be honest. We look prayerfully in our hearts. We reflect on what's there. And if there's stuff that shouldn't be, we turn to him. Call out to him. Put ourselves before his grace and his mercy. And look for that transforming power that we are promised in Ephesians to move and be at work in our lives. So I stress to close very simply this. If there is stuff, take it to God. Look for his power. What I'm not stressing this morning is if there's stuff, strive to fix it yourself. It doesn't work, trust me. I've tried so many times. And I've got about a 0% success rate as far as I'm aware. But when we take it to God, that power, that might, that Ephesians is speaking of, can work in our lives. So draw near to him. Let our hearts be close to him. And let us place our hope, our ethics, our principles in the right authority, which is revealed in the scriptures. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you above all for Jesus Christ, that he has broke down every single wall that divided us from you. 
that through him you call us into this amazing relationship with you. Sometimes, Lord, we are like the prodigal son. We are wandering away. We're sometimes trying to avoid you. And yet, that story reminds us that you stand, you watch, you wait, and you welcome us when we turn to you. So, Lord, you know our hearts this morning. We ask that you speak to our hearts. That if there are things that shouldn't be there, things in which Jesus speaks of here that could defile us, that you would just move us to call out to you, to seek your transforming power. Father, give us wisdom and help us to be honest with ourselves about where we're at. Draw near to us, Father. I pray especially, Lord, where there is heart here this morning. Father, we've touched on the issue of forgiveness and that can be one of the most challenging and impossible for us things to do. So often it's a costly journey, Lord. But Father, we pray that you would draw near to anyone here this morning who is hurting. We pray, Father, that that healing balm of your love and your peace would rest upon any pain. We pray, Father, that for each of us, we would hear your quiet voice call us closer to you. Let us remember, Father, that the life that you have called us to is one of a relationship with you, not simply about following rules. Otherwise, Isaiah would not have decried that people for their hearts being far from their God. You want our hearts. May we give them to you afresh this morning, we pray.